Hallelujah. I'll tell you one thing. If I walked into this room this morning and I felt overwhelmed because of the sin that surrounds me or just the battles of life, there were some songs sung this morning that, man, were loaded with redemptive power. They were loaded with redemptive power. A second song that they sang that spoke about, what was it? Come to the altar and forgiveness is flowing. And there were some expressions in that song that said, oh my God. And I feel that there's people in this room that have settled to be tormented by the sin that so aggressively surrounds and pursues you. You're tormented by the guilt that the enemy uses because of that sin. And so this was a morning, man, if I wasn't saved, I'd run to this altar. <laughs> or if I'm saved but struggling with something, I would have ran to this altar. And this third song is almost to to tell you, chill. I brought you here so you can chill. Chill out. Now, God probably won't use that, yeah, that, that urban terminology, but, but so that we, God is really telling us, chill out, relax. Because my presence is in this place. It's not here to accuse you. It's not here to judge you. It's not here to condemn you. It's not here to destroy you. It's not here to kill you. It's here to restore you. It's here to redeem you. It's here to lift you up. It's here to realign you, to reposition you. And so I just pray, even as you sang that second song, I could hear the sounds of water in this room. But it was not just clear waters. It was crimson flood that was flowing in this room. And there's forgiveness all over this room. There's redemption all over this room. There's restoration. Take a moment right now. Take a moment right now. Just close your eyes. And you personally, you and God. And just tell them, God, I'm tired of living this double life. This has me all stressed out. Has me frustrated. It aggravates me because when I'm in your presence, I realize that what I've settled for is not what you had in store for me. That you have crowned me with glory. That you have made available to me such a great salvation. And so I, I'm tired. And so this morning, oh God, I take advantage of this flood that is in this room of redemption, of forgiveness, of salvation. I receive my breakthrough right now. I receive my breakthrough in the name of Jesus. And if you're struggling and you need to cry out your breakthrough, then just cry it out. I receive my breakthrough in the name of Jesus. There's power in the spoken word. There's power in the expressive words. When you express it, when it comes out of your mouth, God is it just like every negative word the enemy takes it 
and uses it against you. Every positive word that you profess that comes out of your mouth, there's angels ready to take hold of that word and take it to the throne room of God and say, God, this is what they, this is what they, this is what they desire. This is what they're yearning for. God, they need your, your intervention right now. So as you open your mouth and as you plead to God and as you confess your sins, amen, receive right now spirit of deliverance, spirit of breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Every time I watch the news and every time I look around me, and I don't think I'm that old yet, but I say, God, when are you coming? Can't take what's going on anymore. And so this morning the Lord tells me and tells you, my presence is heaven to you. Rejoice in my presence. Take hold of my presence. Embrace my presence. It will hold you through. It will see you through. It will take you through this darkness. It will take you through this corruption that surrounds you. This perversion that surrounds you. It will take you through this evil and wicked society and age that you're living in. It will take you through. My presence is heaven to you, says the Lord. So in these moments, oh God, we don't want to miss out the opportunity that you give us so that when we walk out of these doors, we're able to experience joy in the midst of sadness and sorrow and take hold of your presence this morning for ourselves. And as Elder Lisa said, I don't know, sometime last week, we're taking it for our children, for the generations to come. We claim your presence for generations to come until Christ returns. If he doesn't return before the next generation, then we, we take your presence and we, we declare it over that generation. We declare that they will not be corrupt by the influences of this society, of this culture, of this age, of this world system. But we declare that they will embrace your presence and your presence will see them through. The dark is ours, Father. So we thank you for these moments, oh God, of visitation. We embrace them. Hallelujah. Jesus, mighty name. Jesus, mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Now, before we send the children, many of us might not have ever had the opportunity to receive an applause because of something we did. And so, this morning, you ought to applaud yourself. Just give an applause to yourself. Take advantage. Soak it up. It's not a setup. Go ahead, applaud yourself. Applaud yourself. Amen. Applaud yourself. What if I tell you that heaven is applauding you right now? Amen. Because you guys came out this morning. I was telling Pastor Mark, I don't know how many people are going to show up. 
we might just have a prayer time and go home. And as I look around this room, I say, wow, praise the Lord. The forecast was supposed to be ice. I don't know if it's turning into ice, but whatever, we're here now. And it's, it's so interesting that God always chooses the right time. He knew I was going to preach today. He knew that even before the foundations of the earth were established. He knew that today Pastor Jay was going to preach. And so we might have to stay a little longer because of what's out there to let it clear up. So there's no rush this morning. Amen. Why you want to rush to a restaurant if you won't even make it if you're riding on ice, right? Amen. So just chill out because this is God-ordained moment. We just want to speak on the word of God. And so we send the children, nursery, ages 4 to 12, with their respective teachers. Amen. While the children are heading to their respective areas, you can open up your Bibles in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three. And I'm going to focus on verses sixteen and seventeen. The last two verses of that chapter. All right, we read in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All scripture is God's breath and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God's breath. Now, we usually, and there's probably some versions that have the word inspired. But there's something about the word God breath. Because many people are inspired to do many things. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're inspired to do good things or anything that has eternal value. But they're inspired. There's many sources of inspiration. I'm inspired this morning by watching you sit here and knowing that you came. That inspires me. And so we can easily be inspired by many things. But when the Bible says that all scripture is God breath, that means that it is expired. Now the word expired is not only something that died. If you read the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, one of the meanings of the word expire is to breathe out. So all scripture is breathed out by God. Meaning that there's no possibility of human involvement other than humans being used by God to write it as he breathed it out. And so that is very important for us to understand. 
it will help us to greater appreciate the written word that God has provided us. All scripture is God breath. Verse 17, it says, so that man, the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you know that when the Bible uses the term man, M-A-N, is referring to both man and men and women. For the most part, if you read in the Bible, the word men, plural, usually it refers, is connected to the um, male gender. But when you read the word man, that word man can also be used plural when it's referring to both man and woman. So when, when the Apostle Paul says, so that the man of God, it means also the woman of God. How many know that God, there's some women that are women of God, amen? It's not for men only. This is not a man's club only. I know some churches, they like to make church a man's club. And they just want the woman to just come to support and, and, and be a part of what the men are doing. In this house, we believe that there's both men and women of God. And that God can use both the man and the woman. And at times when the man doesn't step up to do what he's supposed to do, then God will raise a woman. Just read the Old Testament. Deborah. Uh, you know, Ruth. Uh, Esther. He will use a woman. If a man doesn't step up and do what he's supposed to do. Now, if a man steps up, then God puts alongside of him a woman that will also, can also be used by God. I don't know how many of you husbands realize how many times God has used your wife to keep you in check. And when I say that, I'm not talking about these, these, uh, these women that are out of control, big mouths. You know, they... they they want to be the man in the house. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God uses women of God. Any woman that takes a position in the household that is not godly is not a woman of God. The woman of God understands what her precision is, what precision God has given her. And she understands that God has placed alongside of a man to complement and to be a partner. And so I'm not talking about women that are, uh, how could you call a loud woman? What's a good term to use for a loud woman? Anybody? All these scholars that I have here, nobody can help me out. My God. I have a blank moment right now. Any scholars here? What, what, what would be another, a synonym, a synonym for loud? Boisterous. There we go. Boisterous. Amen. That's not what it's talking about here. That's not the woman that God is referring to. But they're women of God that God uses. And many times he's used my wife to keep me in check or to advert me from some situation that would surround me. Sometimes I get annoyed because at the moment I don't see it. And I kind of shrug it off like give me a break. But then as you start to meditate on it, you realize that that was God trying to prevent you from 
going through a way that was not going to be beneficial. Amen. So uh, if you have a wife like that, just give God a clap offering. If your wife is not like that, give God a clap offering by faith because he's going to change her. Now, I'm not clapping because mine is already like that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so, Paul, in speaking to his protege, Timothy, he emphasizes on the importance of God's word. We were teaching... Uh, few weeks ago, for three weeks, we were teaching about the importance of the Word of God. We were teaching on the doctrine of Scripture. And um, one of the challenges, even in my teachings to the Spanish class, but even as I've spoken here publicly, would be that every Christian should make it their discipline to, 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 dis to, to, to uh, schedule themselves to read the Word of God from cover to cover during the course of one year. In other words, every year, we should be able to, as believers, discipline ourselves and schedule our day in a way that every day we're reading a portion of God's Word so that from January 1st through December 31st, we would read the whole Word of God from cover to cover. Why is that important? Jesus says that we were to search and study and look into the Word of God because in them, there is eternal life. And so, everything that we need is in the Word of God. And so, we, it is important for every, every believer to develop a love for the Word of God that you would consider it like your meal. Can't go a day without it, right? Except if you're fasting, right? But even when you're fasting, the Word of God is beneficial. As a matter of fact, that's even more beneficial. So every believer should schedule themselves and should discipline themselves to read the Word of God from cover to cover. I remember when I was growing up, at a very early age, the Bible was categorized as a very special, important book that we could not live without. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, I had to learn and memorize portions of the Bible. It was part of the discipline. Now, my parents didn't force me to do it, but that was just part of the church culture. Kids would learn scripture. Kids would memorize scripture. And, and, and it, was just, it was just the norm. And so I remember that. Remember, we used to sing songs that would give um, preeminence to the word of God. Remember that... Uh, that uh, song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. And then it will go to, oh yeah, Jesus. Loves me, the Bible tells me so. Now, if you come from the Spanish church, and you go as far back as I go, 
Spanish people used to sing, La Biblia es un martillo que rompe la roca en dos, es lámpara que alumbra en medio de la tempestad, espada de dos filos, espejo. La Biblia es, bendito el libro de mi Dios, la Biblia es para mí, bendito el libro de mi Dios, la Biblia es para mí. So the Spanish folks used to sing, and I can't translate it word for word, but it would say, the word is like a hammer that will break, will split the rock in two. It is a light that brightens in the midst of the storm. It is a two-edged sword. It is a mirror. The Bible is. Blessed is the word of God. The word of God for me. Is blessed. Because that's, that's what we learned. That's what we taught our children. The importance of the word of God. And so I want you to understand. If you have the word of God right now, just, just embrace it. Take a moment and just romantic moment with the word of God. Come on. Just a little romance with the word of God. Now I know today we don't carry it anymore. It's in Take your cell phone or your tablet, whatever you have. Just, hey, man. But don't, don't hug your cell phone as if it's on Facebook. No, no, switch it to the Bible and then hug it. Amen. If it's on, 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 what's the other stuff, Twitter? Shut the Twitter right now. You shouldn't even be on Twitter. Change it to the Bible and just hug your cell phone. Amen. We need to love the Word of God. Fall in love with the Word of God. Embrace the Word of God. Because of the power that is within the Word of God. It's the most special book ever written. It's the most wonderful book that man can ever have. No matter how many books you have read in life, no book is greater than God's Word. Can you agree to that? No word and no book is greater than the word of God. Only God is capable of taking 66 books and put it together and put it in a way that we could carry it. It's really a portable library, man. How many of you would be able to carry the Allentown Library under your arm? Or No, you can't. Well... There's a wealth of information here that far exceeds any library in town or in Congress. There's no library that can have the content with the power that this book has. And so only God in his creativity could take the word of God, could take those 66 books written by 40 men during a span of probably 1,500 to 1,800 years, who lived in different parts of the globe. And God, only God could take and put something together so harmonious, so, so uh, 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 united, amen, with such a message that, that just goes from cover to cover and then give it to us so that we can walk with it every day and carry it everywhere we can go. Give God praise. There are people that die for the word of God. Communist countries, if you're found with any part of the word of God. We've heard many, many experiences shared by Elder Nelson and Tammy. 
when they brought uh, experiences on, on the voice of the martyrs. How is it that many in, in many in these countries, even if they're found with a page of the word of God, not only are they put in prison, they're tortured. And in many cases, they're martyred. They're killed for having the word of God. We have the word of God. And so we need to be thankful and grateful and appreciative because God has provided us such a powerful fountain, such a powerful source. Psalms 119, verse 89, it says that the word, your word, O Lord, Psalms 119, verse 89, it says your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. In other words, the Bible is not the book of the month. It's not the book of the year. The Bible is the book of ages. It's timeless. It's eternal. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will always remain. Because the word of God is God through his word. And God is eternal. And so his word is eternal. And so the Bible, the word of God is timeless is ageless, is for all of eternity. Ever since the days of Moses, the people of God has res have received wisdom and guidance through the Word of God that will help them in every aspect of life. How many know that the Bible provides wisdom and guidance for every facet of our lives? It's not only a spiritual book directed to bring spiritual teachings that will nurture spiritual people. No, it is also a book that contains wisdom for every facet of our lives. Psalms 119, the same psalm, but verse 142, it says, your righteousness is everlasting and your law is true. So not only is the word of God timeless, ageless, but it is also true. Verse 151, it goes on to say, yet you are near, O Lord, and your commands are true. Verse 160 in that same psalm, it says, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. So there is no room for lies. There's no room for deceptions. Yes, we will find stories of men that lied and that deceived. But that doesn't make the Bible a lie or a deception. Every part of the Bible is true. There is, there is no room for failure or for, for, for uh, um, uh, lies in the Word of God. It's not a book of fables. It's not a book of fairy tales. It's not a fiction. The Bible is not a book of myths. It's not a book of theory, theories. The Bible is the one book where we can rest assured that we will get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I tell you, we're living in a day when the word of God is under attack. But you know something, it shouldn't surprise us because the word of God has been under attack all throughout the generations. It was under attack when it was first written. It's been under attack as it, as it, as it has evolved, as it has, as it has been 
completed throughout the ages because we understand that the word of God that Moses had is not the word of God that we have. The word of God that we have is more complete because we have, we have what Moses got plus and some. And so even from the times of Moses, the word of God has always been under attack. It has always been the enemy's goal to destroy every part of God's word if he possibly can. And so it has always been a book that has been under attack. Throughout generations, even re recent history, we, we read stories of how the Bible would be burned. And it's still being burned in many countries when it's found. But that's why it's important for us to get a hold of the word of God. Because when the God, word of God is, is recorded in our hearts, they could burn the book, but they can't burn the word of God that is in our hearts. Amen. And so the Bible has always been a book under attack. It's under attack in our nation even today. Truth is no longer an absolute according to the world system today. Truth is now subjective. Or it is dependent on what you make of it. What's true to you doesn't have to be true to me. That's the way that the world defines it. Now I want you to know that's a lie of the devil. There's only one truth. And there's nothing that man can say that could usurp or take the place of that truth. And that one truth is the word of God. And so whatever the word of God has established as truth, it is our responsibility and it's God's expectation for us to take it as the only truth. Nothing else can supersede. Nothing else can replace the truth that is in the word of God. Even if an angel from heaven came to share with you something that's out of the word of God, you have the right and you have the authority from God to reject it. That's why even today with this, there's this, uh, this wave of the prophetic, and I believe in the prophetic. But we got to study and we got to research the spirits to know whether they're of God or not. There's a lot of prophecies being given and the name of God being used, amen, that, ha that are in no way connected to the word of God. They are so far off from what the word of God has established. And so we have to be prepared with the truth that is contained in the word of God so that we will be able to discern when someone is trying to teach us something that is contrary to the word of God. As a matter of fact, Peter speaks about this. He says, be careful because in the last days, many false teachers will rise up. He even calls them antichrists, plural. Not the Antichrist, which is still a mystery. We don't know if he's around or not. Nobody knows. He has not been identified. But they are Antichrist, Peter says, plural. There's people that are going to rise up with a spirit that is Antichrist. If you're Antichrist, you're anti the Word of God. Because the Word of God is Christ. He is the Word that became flesh. And so whenever you receive something that is not in the word of God, that is contrary to the word of God, I don't care how sweet it sounds, I don't care how fuzzy it makes you feel, I don't care how emotional you get, I don't care how positive it seems, I don't care what promises it gives you, if it's not aligned with the word of God, then it's not God. My mother told me a saying from way, ago, way back, 
and I'm sure English, uh, American people also use the same. Not everything that shines is, there you go. So we got to be careful. You see, by nature, we are emotional beings. Not only are we spiritual, but we're emotional beings. And we can easily be driven or taken by our emotions. And so that's why it's important for us to, to understand and to keep our emotions in balance. Every part of us should be under the authority of the Spirit of God, and our spirit should be connected to the Spirit of God so that our spirit would be able to have dominion over our flesh, over our emotions, over our thoughts, over our conversations. When the Spirit of God indwells in our spirit, then our spirit is strong enough, amen, to command the flesh to subject itself and submit itself to the will and to the Word of God. Now, when your spirit is not strong, you are easily swayed. And you are easily driven, and you're easily taken to and fro. And one day you could be spiritually hot, and the next day you could be spiritually dead or cold or lukewarm. One day you could be speaking the oracles of God, and the next day through that same mouth you're cursing. Or you're screaming like a banjee. Or you're throwing things around. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Sometimes I wonder why some of you don't invite me to your homes. I'm wondering when I go in there, I'm going to find broken windows, broken walls, broken doors. Because when our emotions and our flesh gets the best of us, we, we don't think twice. We, we just act with all due respect. The kids are not here, right? We act stupid. I want to make sure Lucas is not here because if I say that word, Papa, that's not good. You can't say that word. But because we're all adults here, we act stupid. When the, when the flesh gets a hold of us and takes the best of us, we can become animals with all due respect. The Bible uses the term, the animalistic. In other words, the man without God, without the Spirit of God controlling him, can easily act like an animal. You can act by instincts. Animals act by instincts. A man and a woman that's controlled by the Spirit of God, we don't act by instincts. We walk in the Spirit, and so we talk in the Spirit, and we act according to the Spirit. And so the Word of God plays a major role in this. We live in a society, again. That rejects the truth of God's word. We have a, a, a generation of, of uh, uh, liberal thinkers. That don't believe in absolute truth. And so they apply truth according to how it fits their desire and their lifestyle. And so that's why today, amen, anyone who speaks the truth from the word of God, from the word of God society calls us haters. As a matter of fact, get ready. I want you to get ready. Because that First Amendment that gives us freedom of speech, Satan is already in the works of making an amendment to the First Amendment. And that is that any speech that society classifies as hate speech, 
will no longer be allowed or tolerable. You see that in our universities today. Anyone who goes to speak anything that is contrary than what society and what academia has deemed acceptable, they won't allow them. As a matter of fact, there's pressures being put in universities today. Ravi Zachariah, who goes to colleges all the time, is invited to university. The time will come when he will not be allowed into these places because the, the truth that he speaks is contrary to what the world considers truth. And so if we don't wake up, folks, I'm telling you, we are starting to live, I wouldn't say the end time. I'm, I'm saying the, the 1159.59 hour. That's really where we're at right now. Things are getting so anti-truth and anti-God and anti-Christ. And anyone that stands for truth and for Christ feels like you're an alien and true. Now I understand why Jesus says you are not part of this world. You are not of this world. You are aliens. You are, you are sojourners. You are pilgrims. You're passing by. Because you're not of this world, they're going to hate you. And some of you are going to be put in prison. And some of you will be killed. And so I don't know about you, but I feel, sometimes I tell my wife, man, I'm only 50, 58. And usually people in their 80s and 90s, they say, oh, I can't live in this world no more. This has changed so much. Oh, God, take me home. But I'm 58. I'm not ready to go yet. But there are times that I feel like a 90-year-old. Like, God, what, when are you coming? This can't get any worse. And I'm not here trying to speak doom and gloom. I'm here trying to awaken you and, and, and help you understand the reality of the times that we're living in. We know that in God and through the word of God, we will overcome because the word of God has overcome. We overcome by the word of God and by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the lamb. We overcome. Amen. But the reality is that when we see the things that go around us, amen, the pressures of the world, the pressures of this world system would make us think that we are... A minority. Now, I want to believe that there's a remnant that God has preserved for this 1159.59 hour that will not buckle, that will not win, that will not allow themselves to be fearful but that will stand and speak the truth like Stephen, even if they stone us to death. So we got to pray. God, give us that spirit, that fire for your word that the apostles and the disciples had. Amen. That they were willing to even die, but they were never willing to compromise the truth. Compromise has become, amen, a very popular word in, in, the, in the Christian circles. Many have compromised the word of God. Many have compromised the truth and the foundational truth, the amen, that, 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 
that are, that are the root of our faith. Many have compromised it, amen, in order to entertain the world, in order to bring the world. We have preachers that have compromised the truth, amen, in order to draw large crowds, amen. Worship has become more of an entertainment now so that we can draw people, amen, but it's lost the element of truth. That's why I praise God because our worship team, amen, yes, they do a great job in, in the music that they bring and in the songs that they sing, but they understand that that's secondary. The most powerful thing that they can bring forth is the truth of the word of God as they sung through those songs and as they lived in their lives. Proverbs 14.12. I'm telling you. If you want to really, those of us that are old enough, if we really sit down and we do a study, a history study, we will realize that the moment that this nation started to turn its back on God would probably go back to 1963. When prayer and the Bible were removed from public places. The moment that the word of God was taken out of the White House by that first lady that everybody says she was so wonderful. And she probably was in many other ways, but she was horrible when she made the decision to remove the Bible from the White House. Jacqueline Kennedy, devout Catholic. The moment that we succumbed and, and government succumbed and allow for prayer to be removed out of our schools, if you look back, you will see the rapid decline, moral and spiritual decline that this nation has been set into. And it's really, it's really we're, we're actually going on a path of self-destruction if we don't pray and humble ourselves, especially us, the church, and ask God to have mercy and to awaken our nation, to awaken the church in this nation so that we will return to God. If you think that America is so great and so special to God, that God would spare it from the judgments that he didn't spare other nations, including the nation of Israel, who are God's chosen people, then you got something coming. We ain't all that in a bag of chips, if that's what you want to think. It's a wonderful nation. I'm proud of being an American. I love my country. I love my flag. But let me tell you something. If this nation don't turn back to God, we're going to hell. When I say we, I, I'm not talking about those of us that want, choose to live righteous. I'm talking about us as a nation. We have to wake up. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man. Again, there's a way that man would interpret truth in a way that is relative to his situation. There's a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it will lead to destruction. Psalms 119, 72. 119, 72. A lot of scripture. 
says the law of your mouth. What is the law of God's mouth? The word of God. If I was to ask you to answer yourself this question, keep track of the time this coming week that you spend watching television, reading literature that's not the word of God, or some of you playing video games, because that's the, that's the big thing now. Think about the hours or take a survey, take a, take a, 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 not a survey, take note, write it down. I would challenge you just for one week from now to next Sunday, starting today when you walk out of church, just, just put on, put on that, on that log, on that journal, put, okay, at, at 115, I started to watch whatever, basketball, whatever's on today. And then keep the log next to you and then write at the time that you finish watching whatever you were watching. And then write again how much time you spent maybe doing other things that were not really a spiritual. Keep a log. I know it's going to be tiresome in a way, but if you are able to do that, you're going to be able to, 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 to wake up and realize why is it that we are in the predicament that we are spiritually, physically, emotionally? Because we're not giving the word of God its due importance. And if we're going to be healthy in our minds, in our bodies, in our spirit, we need to bring the word of God back to the place that it deserves. Now, am I saying that you have to spend three hours reading the word of God? That's between you and God. I'll tell you one thing. As I've disciplined myself to read the word of God, I find myself every time I'm sitting down, I'm reading the word of God. I sit at the table, I'm reading the word of God. I go to my family room, I'm reading the word of God. Sit for dinner. Sit for, I usually tell my mother, Ma, tiene algo que decirme? You, got anything to, you don't have anything to say? Okay, I'm going to read the word of God. If my wife is... A, Nothing to speak about. Okay, let me read the word of God. Because as you discipline yourself to reading the word of God, you're going to develop a yearning, a desire, a love, a passion, amen, to want to get into that word every possible free moment that you have. Now, do I watch TV? Yes, I do. Do I like sports? Yes, I do. Amen. I, I have to confess I still like sports. But I don't know. There might come a time as I continue to fall in, in love with the word of God that sports will no longer have the importance or it will no longer have the tug to my heart that it has now. That's what the word of God does to us. But we have to understand Psalms 1, 19, 72, the law of your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. In other words, the Bible is priceless. The, the contents in the word of God, you can't, you can't add or you can't put a monetary value to them. All the gold in the world and all the silver in the world and all the precious stones in the world put together cannot compare to the value of God's word. Did you ever meet someone that used to sleep on the Bible? Yeah, I've, I've known people that they would lay the Bible on top of their pillow 
and they would go to sleep on a bar. I grew up in a time when people used to kneel down to pray. I know that seems foreign now. People hardly kneel down anymore. But I grew up in a time when people used to kneel down to pray. And I remember, even in my early years, when we would go, we would open the Bible, we would put it on the floor, and we would bury our heads on the Bible and pray. I don't know, anyone, is this foreign to anyone? Does anyone remember that? Yeah. That's how valuable the word of God was. But somehow, society, the culture, our own slothfulness, our own laziness, our own busyness has caused us, amen, to take the word of God and push it to the side. Because we have so many other things cluttering our time and our lives. And then we wonder why our marriage is in chaos. Why our children are in chaos. Because we're not given the word of God. It's rightful place. There were martyrs who died for their faith. And there are stories of martyrs who died. And they were found clutching the Bible to their chests as they were being murdered. Early Christians would sit for hours. You guys have problems sitting for an hour as I preach. These guys would sit for hours, man. At the feet of the apostles. And then Paul would go on this rampage. I'm talking about hours upon hours upon hours. That the one guy fell off the windowsill. What was it? He was on the second floor, third floor, whatever. He fell off. He fell asleep on the window and he fell off. And then Paul had to come down and revive him through the power of the Spirit of God. But that's what it was like before. Remember the time when, when Ezra got a hold of the scroll after the people of God had not heard the word of God for years. Ezra got a hold of the scroll and when he began to read, the Bible says that the people of Israel, they all gathered and they would be there from sunrise until sunset just hearing the reading of the word of God. Not even preaching. Preaching, I bring a little joke here and there and it keeps you, kind of wakes you up. They were just hearing the reading. Some of you don't even stay awake with my jokes. I can't even figure you staying awake reading the Bible. And you know why you fall asleep? Because God knows how many hours you gave to crap yesterday. And so this morning you're all crapped out. And, and, and I applaud you for being here. I, let, let, me, let me just applaud you for being here. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you made it. But the truth of the matter is that we, we, we can't hear the word of God. We can't get into the word of God because we are so cluttered and so exhausted with all the other stuff that we fill our minds and our hearts and our lives with that when we get to the word of God. That's why the best time to read the word of God is when? The morning. Morning is the best time because your mind is alert. Your mind is awake. You get a cup of coffee if you need to. Get some caffeine. Get whatever, whatever helps you to, 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 to liven up. And begin to read the word of God and you'll see what an impact and an effect that has in your life. These guys will stay for hours upon hours listening to the preachings and the teachings of the apostles. I have memories of when I was a child. When pastors, they would preach their message. And in one hand they held the word of God. And they would say, this is what the word of God says. 
And with another hand, they held a handkerchief like Pastor Jay to wipe the sweat because they were so passionate. I don't know how many of you ever lived that where you saw pastors just lifting the, the word of God. Amen. Not the iPads like I have. Not the, not the self. No, they lifted the book and they would preach from the book and they would emphasize the book. And it was like, like they, were, they were like soldiers just poof, cutting left and right. Like madmen. Not mad at people, but mad at the devil that deceives people. And they would take the word of God and they would, they would flail it in there. Maybe some of you never saw that. Amen. But I did. I remember those days. I remember the days when I was a kid when Sunday school teachers, they didn't have books. They would go and read the book during the week. And then they would come to Sunday school and they would open up the book. The Bible. Today we need the curriculums. Are they good? Yes, they're good. But they're not good if all you're teaching is a curriculum and you're not getting into the word of God. The actual word of God. Because even those curriculums are an interpretation, amen, of someone else. But when you get into the word of God, amen, the only one that has the ability to interpret it is the spirit of God who inspired it. So books are good, classes are good, lessons are good, curriculums are good. But if the teacher doesn't get into the word of God, then all you teach is nothing but empty words. Now that's halftime. Let's go to third and fourth quarter now. I remember, I have vivid memories of revival preachers. Like an Oral Roberts. You see the tapes of Oral Roberts when he was at the beginning of his ministry. And he was an evangelical. And Billy Graham. Billy Graham is an evangelical. He wasn't even Pentecostal. So evangelicals that have a problem with people being emotional and preachers being, <laughs> you missed the boat. Because Billy Graham, evangelical. I remember when he used to first preach, he would get up in front of multitudes of people and he would hold the word of God. And he would challenge people through the word of God. And he would preach with a passion. Sometimes you felt like they were screaming at the people. Something similar to what, I, what you might feel like here. Yeah, and that's what it was. It was passion. They loved the word of God so much. They experienced the transformation of the God so much that they wanted to. It was like they preaching to people and it was like a surgeon. They wanted to open up people's heart and just put what they had inside of them. Just transfer it into the heart of people. We don't see that no more because now most preachers, especially pastors, are more inter in interested in entertaining the people and providing entertainment so that the people will fill the pews. Amen. But God is nowhere to be found in the pews. And the pews are, fi pews are filled with people, but they're void of God. Those were the images of when I was growing up. Now... Amos prophesied something that we need to take to heart. The book of Amos, open it up if you have the Bible. Book of Amos. Amos is one of the minor prophecies towards the end of the Old Testament. Amos, chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. Nothing sounds as sweet 
had the sign of peace. Tom, I think, said that last Sunday, right? The sound of the pages of the hymnal. Well, let me tell you something. Nothing sounds sweeter than the sounds of the turning of those pages in your Bible. That sounds sweet. I can't do that with my iPad. Maybe someone should come up with a, with a, with a feature. Maybe someone should say, hey, guys, I'm giving, you, I'm giving you ideas. I'm giving you ideas. Maybe one of you can invent a feature that, that when you use the Bible or, 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 or the Word of God in your iPad or in your iPhone, that, that every time you, you move, you shh, 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 shh. Now, I don't know how much fortune that will bring you, but at least it's a try. Amen. Take it to the shark tank. If you, that one went over your head, then forget about it. What does Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12 say? Junior, can you read it out loud from back there? I mean, out loud. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. I mean, read it with that. Woo! Woo! Come on, men will what? What's the man that staggers normally? You're either drunk or you're weak. You, are, you, you probably are lacking nutrition. And so you're so weak that you're staggering from sea to sea. Keep going. Now, this had a fulfillment in the Old Testament. But how many know that everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadow of things to come? And so I personally believe that this prophetic word has a dual reference. Not only did it apply to Israel, but it applied to a time when we will be living in this end time where God will send a famine, amen, and a, and, a, and a desire for the word of God and people will be seeking it and they will not be able to find it. We're living in those days right now. You know why? Because even though speeches are brought from places like this, but if you... If you really evaluate them, how much of the word of God did those speeches contain? How much of it was more motivational speeches and speeches to try to make you feel good and to try to get you to think positive, but they had nothing from the word of God. And if anything, maybe a reading of a verse and that was it. And so we are living in a day and age where people are hungry. You know why young people today are searching and they're going into, into the, 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 the dark world and they're getting involved in cults and they're, getting, they're doing stuff, amen, that is satanic and they're driven by, because they're hungry for truth. And since no one is preaching the truth, amen, they'll take a hold of half a truth with half a, half a lie because the devil is operating today like he did in the Garden of Eden. He would take a portion of truth and he would mix it with a bunch of lies. To deceive man. And that's what we see in our society today. We see a famine in our land because there is a lack of Bible preachers. 
there's a lack of preachers of truth. And so Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Just open up your Bible. Let me hear those pages. Come on. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Yeah. Wow, man, that's like soothing. Mm. Verse, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, 2 Timothy. This is what it says. It says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearance and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. How many here are preachers? Anybody's a preacher here? How many believe that God has given you the great commission? So raise up your hand if you're a preacher. I, I didn't say how many of you are pulpit preachers. Or, 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 or multitude. No, no. Every one of us has been called to preach. Because when we take the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what we're doing. So he's saying, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, don't wait to prepare yourself when it's time for you to preach to a crowd. You should be preparing yourself every day to preach the word because at any given moment, God will give you, even if it's an audience of one, that is going to be dependent on that word of God that you're going to share with them. And so you got to be prepared to preach it in season, out of season, in crowds, or even to one individual. You have to be prepared. Every one of us. It's not only the preacher from the pulpit, but every one of us that has been saved and has embraced the great commission, we are, we are charged by the Apostle Paul to preach the word. And be prepared in season, not a season. Why do we preach the word? Because the word has these effects. Number one, what does it say there? It corrects. Number two, it rebukes. Number three, it encourages with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. <laughs> keep your head. If there's anything that's going to make us sane and is going to help us to keep our head Right, is the word of God. Keep your head in all situations. In other words, when you face all these things, because you've prepared yourself with the word of God, because you've, you've prepared yourself to preach it in season, out of season, nothing is going to sway you. Nothing is going to take you out of your element. No, no, you're going to be able to stand even when you're confronted, even when you're rebutted, even when you're, what, what you're saying is rejected. You're going to be able to keep your head. In other words, you're going to be able to keep your cool. You know, sometimes the stuff that goes on today, man, I said, oh, God, if I could only get a hold of these, guys, I would just knock some sense into them. You hear some of these people on the media, and it's like you want to go to the television and slap a little bit of sense into them because of the nonsense that they So, So it's like you get so, so hyped that you, you could easily lose your patience, and you could send them all to hell, right? 
I used to know a woman, she, she was an expert in that, man. A lady, lady preacher, she was good at that. She said, man, go to hell. <laughs> you don't agree with me? Go to hell. You don't believe what the word of God? Go to hell. You don't want to be saved? Go to hell. She ended every, every, every phrase with go to hell. If you don't want to accept, go to hell. And the truth of the matter is sometimes if we don't check ourselves, it's like we want to send everybody to. But when we get the word of God, it helps us to keep a level head. Helps us to keep our head and not lose our patience and our control. It helps us to stand firm even when we are rejected, persecuted, mocked, scoffed. We're able to keep our head and not lose. Not lose our hope, not lose our strength. So, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Is there famine? Yes. I want to tell every preacher in this house, every teacher, every elder, every leader, God's people are starving. With all due respect, they're not starving for skits. They're not starving for videos or DVDs. They're not starving for fuzzy, warm lessons. God's people are starving for the word of God. And we have to go back to the word of God. And so that, that's an exhortation to every preacher in this house. Going back to the original verses that we read, and with this I finished, Timothy. I just want to highlight a few things from there. I still believe the word of God is God breath. All scripture, first verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breath and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so it's not part of the scripture, it's all scripture, right? It's not some words, but it's all words. It's not like we could take, it's part of the scriptures and some words that we might not, you know, and say, hey, you know something, that, that might not have been inspired by God. Because how can a loving God judge people and, and condemn them at the end to a lake of fire? That, that, that can't be the word. No, no, no. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed. How many know that the wrath of God is part of who he is? How many know the righteousness of God and God is a just God? And because he's just, amen, what balances love and, and all the other attributes of God, it, they have to, if, if, if he's loving and is not just, then he stops being God because he's imbalanced. If he's merciful and graceful, but he does not follow through with the day that he set out, amen, as a day of judgment. And anyone that, whose name is not written in the book of life will be cast into a lake of fire for all of eternity. If God doesn't follow through with that, then he is not God. Because what makes him God is every one of his attributes, including his, as a matter of fact, how many know that one of the things that God feels is hatred? Ooh, Pat, what? What? God is telling us to love our enemies and he hates? Yes, he does. He hates sin. He hates sin. 
he hates immorality. As a matter of fact, there's some things, amen, that he, his hatred is more evident than in others. He specifically mentions some things in the word of God that he calls them an abomination. In other words, they sicken him. Sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, homosexualism, lesbianism. Those are abominational sins. As a matter of fact, the word of God says that because men refused to receive the truth, they rejected the truth, God has rendered them to a spirit of lie and of deception. And because he's rendered them, now they no longer have the protection and the covering of God. And so now they're susceptible to all of these demonic influences. And all sin is influenced by the devil because he is the author of sin. He is the author of lies. He is the author of immorality. He is the author of everything that is contrary to the word of God. And so when you begin to practice things that God detests and that are abominable to God and you refuse the salvation, there will come a day either in the rapture or the day that you die if you refuse to accept the truth and choose to die living in that mess guess what because God is God he will have to release you from under his covering and release you into the arms of Satan who will have you for all eternity and for that person There will be no healing. The Bible says that the man that is rebuked, that is corrected, and refuses correction, speaking of the word of God, speaking of truth, he will instantly, in an instant, he will be cut off. In other words, God will remove his covering. And the judgment of God will bring such chaos on that person's life that that person will never again be healed will never again have an opportunity for salvation. When does that happen when you die without Christ? If you're here today, you're not at that point, so chill out. Take a deep breath. I don't care what you've done. If you're here today, you have not reached that place yet. But I'm saying, if you don't make a decision for God, and if you don't allow the word of God to become a part of your daily life, amen, and you, and you continue in your state of rebellion, there will come a day when God will release you into the hands of the enemy. And the enemy will come to destroy you and to have you forever. And after that point, ain't no prayers, ain't no rosary that going to pull you out of purgatory. Because purgatory ain't no such thing. That's a figment of a religion. There is no purgatory. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And in between both of them, there's an earth right now where God gives us an opportunity. This, this thing called time on earth is an opportunity that God gives us so that we can choose where we want to spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell. And I know there's a gospel being preached today that tries to debunk hell. And it's not only Jehovah Witnesses. Guess what? There are Christians right now that are not even believing that there's a hell. And it's being preached in many Christian circles. Again, Peter said, be careful because many will rise up. Many teachers speaking lies, deceptions. And if we're not preparing the word of God, we can easily. How's the weather out there? Can you take a peek? Is it icy? Tell me it's icy. How does it look, Jake? It looks what? 
Everything looks good? Man, bro. Move this guy to another area of ushering. <laughs> just kidding, Jake. Just kidding. <laughs> you did the right thing. You said the truth. So that I appreciate that. <laughs> I was just hoping that you would say it was icy, you know, so, so I could take a little longer. You know what? I'm not going to rush through this, so I'm going to ask Pastor Margie to give me a break next Sunday. I'm going to finish this next Sunday. But just keep that in mind. I want you to take these verses. 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, Pastor Margie, I'm going to steal your line. Read the whole chapter. Read from verse 1 all the way to the end, to verse 17. Read that. All right, I want you to read those verses. I want you to, to chew them. I want you to digest them. And as you read them, may you take out time every day and say, God, help me to fall in love with you and with your word. Anyone here willing to take the challenge of keeping track of the time that you spend in other things? Anyone here willing to take that challenge? I'm going to take the challenge. I, I'm going to lead this. That's going to be hard for me, man, because that means I have to carry something around, a, a little log to write it down. Oh, your phone. Okay. Yeah. See? It's easier than I thought. You could log it on your phone. Yeah, you don't even have to type it. Just put it on speak on that speaker, that audible, and record it. And say from 1.30 <laughs> till 3.30, till 5 o'clock, I watch the NBA on what? ABC? Y la hispana, mañana. La hispana, mañana. La hispana, mañana. Por favor, escríbame. De la una de la tarde... Hasta las 3 de la tarde estuve viendo la novela esta y la novela aquella y la novela otra. Escríbame todas las novelas y todas las horas que usted estuvo viendo las novelas. Usted no me lo va a dar a mí, eso es un registro para usted. I told my Spanish ladies that don't work. Tomorrow, start jogging down the hours that you spend watching soap operas. You're not going to give it to me. You're just going to keep it for yourself. It's going to be an awakening for you. And then compare. Now, listen, I'm not here to judge you if you watch whatever. I'm just telling you, use this exercise to, so that you could discover what you give time to, valuable time to. The Bible says that wherever, what is it, your treasure is, there also is what? Your heart. So whatever you treasure the most, whatever you give the time the most to, then that's what you're going to discover. And this is not, again, this is not to condemn. This is for us to awaken and to develop a passion for the word of God because we're going to need it, folks. I'm telling you, we are going to need it. Rules are changing. Laws are changing. There's meetings taking place in dark rooms, in hidden rooms. Changes are taking place. You know how many laws in the past eight years were passed underneath our nose, and we didn't even realize it until after they were passed. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in these next four years. There's things that are happening, amen, in our political arena, amen, things that are happening. The enemy is moving aggressively. The agenda of the world is moving aggressively, amen, and it's projecting itself as so powerful, as so invincible, that unless we're grounded in the word of God, we will accept that, and we will, we will accept defeat. I want to tell you, that is a 
lie, is a deception. Get into the word of God and you will discover, amen, that the kingdom of God is violent. And the violent will take it by storm. That the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And those of us that get the kingdom of God and the word of God and the kingdom of God through the word, we will be at peace even if all hell breaks loose. So take that with you. Take the challenge. It's not a Pepsi challenge. It's not a Coke challenge. It's a God challenge. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Gabe.